0: Hello and welcome to episode five of People 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 Like Games What's up? What's up? Welcome back to another episode of People Like Games. Uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar, I'm your host, Solo, and People Like Games is a show about video games, esports, and gaming industry news. Uh, you can find us on iTunes and Google Play. And uh, if you happen to do Twitter, uh, so do we uh, at People Like Games. Uh, hit us up. Uh, we got a pretty good show for you today. Uh, as usual, we'll be covering the week's stories. And then for our in-depth analysis, uh, we'll be taking a look at why physical disks and digital downloads are priced the same. Uh, you would imagine that without the uh, production and distribution costs that digital downloads might be slightly cheaper. But you will come to find out that for no particularly good reason that is not the case. Uh, and then to close things out, I'll be speaking with Manny Anical, who is the CEO and founder of TNL Media. Uh, he also happens to be a veteran of the gaming industry, having worked at companies like Zynga, Microsoft, and Major League Gaming. Uh, and we sit down. Uh, we sit down. We speak. We spoke over the phone about the upcoming Overwatch League, uh, the upcoming 2K League, and the upcoming League of Legends Championship Series uh, and the sort of economics surrounding them in terms of what is going to constitute uh a successful first season or what is going to be, you know, acceptable viewership numbers for investors uh, in this upcoming, in their upcoming inaugural seasons. Uh, and then we also talk a little bit about where he sees the industry moving towards uh, in the upcoming uh, year, in the upcoming uh, few years. It's a, it's a pretty interesting conversation and worth sticking around for, but uh, now that we got this uh prologue taken care of let's uh, jump into the show um you know because i was just mentioning it i guess i might as well start with it uh the overwatch league is set to uh launch or the preseason, rather is set to launch on december 6th this wednesday which is the day this comes out so hey it show comes out today if you're listening in the morning or the season starts today if you're listening in the morning but uh you know It's marred a little bit um, by the fact that the Philadelphia Fusion, which are one of the 12 teams in the league, uh, is going to be unable to participate uh, in the upcoming preseason due to logistical errors. They weren't able to get everything together in time, which is a problem i sort of understand given the fact that a majority of these players is going are going to be in international but simultaneously it's something i think they should have thought about before they created a team or a city-based league filled with international players uh makes me think there's a reason the olympics is every four years and not every year uh less about the you know gravitas of it all, and more about the logistical nightmare inherent in you know planning it and attending it, but anyway that's neither here nor there um, but related to uh the overwatch league uh overwatch is going to be getting overwatch league team skins uh in the upcoming month uh but the problem or the problem the catch is that they are not going to be uh, available in loot boxes or available for, for purchase through gold uh instead they're going to be only available through a new currency being introduced called tokens um I I really don't like the fact that games introduce currency that they then name something different. So this Overwatch League team skin that I like is going to be three tokens. So instead of being able to pay for it, I'll have to go pay $10 for four tokens and then I'll have one token left over. That means nothing. But, you know, that's what you get when these gaming companies move towards, you know, movie theater popcorn and uh you know soda upgrade pricing structures but you know it it, it's a it's a little bit unnecessary um because if every other skin has been introduced through loot boxes would only make sense or even even you know i'll even take the fact that you want to charge it separately but you know, make it like $5, $10, whatever the cost is. Why, why does it have to be masked in the fact that I have to purchase, convert it to in-game tokens, you know, I don't know. It just seems like a way to make people feel like they're not paying money is, is by converting it through four tokens sounds a lot different than $10. But anyway, following up on something I mentioned last week, which is a Bandai Namco teaser of a potential My Hero Academy game. uh. That game has been confirmed. Uh, My Hero Academy 1 Justice has been announced for uh, the PS4 and the Nintendo Switch. Uh, The trailer will be debuting at Jump Festa 2018, which is on December 16th, which I believe is next Saturday. Uh, Season 3 is going to be coming out in April. If you haven't seen the show, pretty good. Eh, I like it. I think it was enjoyable. Uh, The first season is sort of annoying because the main character Deku just cries a lot, but... It gets better. It gets better. It's worth it's worth sticking around for if you're an anime fan. But anyway, next story. Uh, HyperX is partnering with the Dallas Mavericks, so it's the first <laughs> partnership for HyperX with the 2K League team, uh, and it's going to allow HyperX access to the I believe it's the American Airlines Arena that the Dallas Mavericks play in, uh, which is going to give them ad you know space and booths for attendees, which is a a good. Uh, you know, position for them. I guess it'll also get some co-marketing in. Um, overall, it's a, it's a pretty smart deal for HyperX, and it it, it works for the Mavericks as well. But uh, anyway, on to uh, probably my favorite story of the week. Um, there's a Twitch extension coming out for the upcoming Game Awards. So the Game Awards are going to be airing on December 7th, uh, which is on Thursday. I do not know the time. I want to say 8 p.m., uh, Eastern time, but I want to also say it's probably going to be based on West Coast time, so don't quote me on that. Let me know if you find out. But they're going to be introducing a live stream overlay that allows viewers to guess who they think will win. Uh, it rolls out 5.30 p.m. Pacific time on December 7th, which is the day of the awards, uh, and it, it is pretty interesting. I, you know, I've always thought that as much as people like the Golden Globes or the Oscars or whatever awards ceremony you know have you the problem is it's never been interactive uh and this is something that of course the game awards gaming awards should have you know or has properly capitalized upon so credit to twitch um that's gonna be pretty cool uh that's gonna get a lot of viewers and in addition it actually has some very interesting features so one, you can vote if you're watching on a streamer's channel, the awards on a streamer's channel, uh, by viewing, voters are go- or viewers are going to be able to join the streamer's team uh, and they'll be voting against uh, other teams and there'll be a leaderboard that keeps, uh, you know, tracking uh, or track of which group ends up guessing the most uh, potential winners. Uh, it's pretty interesting. It's actually pretty awesome. Uh, it really adds a layer of, uh, you know, i guess interactivity is the only only word that comes to mind uh for the award show Uh, and also has the ability to uh stream so if you have uh two streamers they can go head to head uh and the same model works where the winner is the group that guesses the most categories correctly so you know pretty cool be sure to watch the game awards uh it it looks like uh that's going to be a, a a An awards show ceremony that really cements itself this year as a a a staple of the year uh anyway um up next uh, according to a new zoo report global gaming revenue matches global sports revenue with 149 billion dollars in 2017 uh driven strongly by chinese and japanese mobile gaming uh including you know higher than expected software and hardware sales uh it looks like gaming is now on, you know, par to establish itself. I guess this this is a the gaming era, um, you know, that number is only going to increase. Uh, it's very much in line with what I was talking about last week with the uh, fact that microtransaction revenue had doubled in the past five years for PC games. Uh, it's only going to be a trend that continues. Uh, and it's going to, this is actually a trend that's going to uh, relate to these next couple of stories. So. You know, as always, EA is around in this news. You know, I'm not going to go over the Battlefront saga. I, I, I assume if you're a gamer, you've heard about it. And if you haven't, you know, go back to my old shows. They're pretty good. But anyway. Um, the stock value f- uh, for EA dropped by three billion following this little Battlefront to uh, fiasco. Uh, secondly, the uh, CFO of the company uh, believes that players don't like linear games as much as they used to. And three, uh, EA's UFC 3 multiplayer is introducing a multi uh, is introducing a multiplayer system based on. Yes, you guessed right. It is actual skill and ability, but no, I'm just messing with you. Obviously, it is loot boxes. Um, so yeah, they actually had to, uh, you know, clarify it. So we'll we'll get to that. So anyway, first up, uh, the stock value for EA dropped by. 8.5% this was due to uh, a release of December sales numbers that were lower than expected which guess what that's related to Uh, Battlefield 2. Um, And it really goes to show that one of the powers gamers have uh, or consumers have is to negative reviews or to not buy the product, and then companies are forced to respond. Uh, It's funny to remember all of this started with a simple Reddit post. But anyway, um, on to the fact that the CFO of the same company said that he believes that players don't like linear games as much as they used to, Uh, it's a statement that stands in contradiction to what the CEO Andrew Wilson uh, mentioned uh, a week before. Uh, in terms of reasons he gave for closing, Visceral Studio's Star Wars game, uh, but you know, it makes sense with which way this is going. So just keep these three stories in mind. So next up, we have uh, the uh, Red Dead publisher, uh, Take Two's president Carl Sladoff uh, says at the Credit Suisse conference, the twenty first twenty first annual technology conference, the same uh, conference that I just mentioned the CFO. Uh, in terms of linear games mentioning, um, he said that he believes that loot boxes aren't gambling. So he... It rather he let me qualify and say with his actual statement our view is aligned with the esa if you do not remember the esa it's the electronic software association it is the association behind the esrb which is what i did my story on last week uh and uh they are the body that uh rates content in game uh, or content for game that's a self-regulated self-regulating uh, independent organization quote unquote um and uh it's funny because i had mentioned that uh or i will mention now here again that when it comes to content rating it is very difficult for you to be able to um you know have a rating that is too far uh, away from the normal i feel like with precedent established thus far in terms of how games are rated it's a pretty simple almost automatic process um and so the fact that loot boxes is now falling under the same conversation of regulation uh and with this with these statements from you know a company as big as take two and their president at that stating that they don't believe loot boxes are gambling um it really brings to light whether there's a major conflict of interest with the esrb uh you know with the the fact that esa is made up primarily of the video game companies that are now introducing loot boxes so uh that's something i think about uh you know it's not like that you know You know, it's not it's not like uh, our 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 federal government is going to get involved in any sort of uh, regulation. So it's really going to be a consumer led uh, movement. But, you know, all this closes out with actually that same president uh, claiming that he believes that games are going to be going 100 percent digital in the future. Uh, That was actually a statement that led to me wanting to do my uh a little story piece here you know in the upcoming uh segment on uh the pricing structure of digital uh downloads and physical games because i just felt like you know with that structure if you think about it there's a, a major loss of a secondary market uh, in terms of what used games uh, or physical games allowed and with digital downloads you don't have anything you're just you know a piece of information on a software that is tied to a system uh, that could be lost theoretically um, but regardless um, the reason I mentioned all of these stories is that with the you know sudden and not so subtle introduction of loot boxes and microtransactions this year and with the uh, idea that uh, all games are going to be going digital it's also very very important to keep in mind that recently uh, the FCC chairman Ajit Pai announced that he wanted to repeal net neutrality which you know If you are a gamer, I hope you know about, and if you are not a gamer, you should know about, either way, everyone should know, uh, which would take away the protections for equal access to uh, internet speed. So, um, you know, with those taken together, so if you suddenly have a a game that is based on, uh, you know, a few small number of players or a multiplayer game, uh, where a few small number of players, which are the whales, quote unquote, able to invest an endless amount of money and upgrade because of that money playing against people who may put $20 over the lifespan of a game uh, it introduces a very unfair element and it basically makes uh, you know the average player the bait for the whales uh, to be able to spend their money Um, and that basically just shows that now you know console and pc games have moved towards a mobile game Uh, you know revenue structure which is very very ominous for games Um, but anyway uh, there it's just important to mention the net neutrality in reference to all this because if games are digital uh, that means downloading it is going to cost you internet speed and gaming is going to cost you internet so as you can see it makes sense that suddenly they want to go all digital with these upgrade fees. And then on top of that, you're going to have to pay specific for like specific internet packages, you know, but path- you know, hypothetically at this point, it's uncertain, but you know, if anyone's, you know, likely to get throttled or who's, you know, internet connected likely to get throttled who, or whose expenses are about to go up a lot, it's going to be gamers. Uh, so be sure to, uh, you know, be informed about net neutrality repeal with your local Congressman um, anyway. Um, That's all for the news uh, in this week. Uh, Now, after the upcoming message from our sponsor, because, yes, we do have a message from a sponsor, uh, we're going to get into uh, our in-depth analysis. So stay tuned. People Like Games is brought to you by Gun.io, that's Gun.io, a professional freelance agency for software developers, uh, a place for both the actual developers and companies or individuals looking to hire them. Uh, Gun.io custom matches their clients with top professional freelancers from their over 25,000 member uh, invite-only member community, uh, Gunyo has remixed the humanity of an agency with the scale of talent marketplace, and that's how they deliver the best value per dollar of any business in the software development space. So uh, if you're in the market looking for a uh, developer or a coder or just a few extra hands on a project you're working on, check out Gunyo, That's gun.io. One of the best out there. So for our in-depth analysis, I'm going to be taking a look at one of those age-old questions and in this particular case, why physical disks and digital downloads are priced the same for console games. Uh, I'm just going to specify console because, you know, I'm I'm very well aware that for quite a few years, PC has been running predominantly on digital-only downloads, but I Separate that from the move from console games moving towards digital download because for a PC if you happen to buy a game and you end up upgrading your computers one uh, that can be or that those games can be transferred by simply moving the hard drive into the new motherboard or uh, or the new case rather or if you know you get a new computer with higher capabilities that is only going to allow the game to run smoother. It's not going to, like in the case of, say, if you bought a bunch of Xbox games, uh, you would be unable to play on an Xbox 360 or an Xbox One until they made backwards compatibility available. That is not an issue you would have with a PC game. Uh, It would only run better. Uh, So that differentiates that. So for anyone who's going to message me and say, hey, but PC games are always downloads uh, or, you know, Steam this, Steam that, this is, uh, you know, your prologue, uh, you know semantics differentiator but regardless um it is an interesting question because i do not like digital downloads i know there's a preference for people and you know the digital download usually falls into the convenience of all things uh i just sat there i pushed a button and it downloaded but as i was saying uh, in the last segment with net neutrality uh you know potentially being repealed by the current administration, that is going to make the cost a lot higher. Uh, It is also a beef I have with the way that Microsoft, uh, I guess the Xbox, I don't have a PS4, runs their system in that even if you buy the physical disc, you still have to download the game onto the uh, hard drive, which doesn't make a lot of sense because if I've downloaded the game onto the hard drive, then why do I subsequently need the disc to be able to play it? Uh, That looks like a little bit of an oversight. but neither here nor there actually no it is both here and there because it's relevant to what we're uh, we're speaking about um but you know one of the main issues i have with digital downloads is that the moment you buy it you're sort of shoehorned into it so i had a friend who bought uh no man's sky uh digital download it was an awful game when it came out let's be honest it was highly overhyped uh, It did not deliver on those promises and if you had bought a physical copy you would have been able to go in and sell it online or to be able to trade it in somewhere and granted the the amount of money that these uh retail shops like gamestop are giving you for trade-ins is sort of its own degree of ridiculous but at least you have an option and at least there's a secondary market digital downloads and the movement towards them for consoles is going to inevitably cave whatever secondary market there is Uh, and it's and that's a really important market and uh you know that's actually funny enough one of the reasons uh these games are priced the same so i thought it was going to be a a complex answer um that you know there would be a lot of factors and complexities that go into these pricing structures but apparently you're going to come to learn that it's not so much the case um that in reality, this pricing is sort of arbitrary and that's the basis for it. Uh, and so let's uh, you know let's first jump with $60 point and so the reason uh, games are $60 is that it seems that uh, the market had decided upon that for the sort of first generation so it was accurately pegged to development cost uh, in the initial consoles but uh, as development costs have really sort of shot through the roof uh, games still happen to be $60 and so uh, you know why is that so what's the sort of breakdown of the revenue from that and then taking a look at where the money or how the money is broken down for those $60 we can see why or in what ways digital downloads are slightly overpriced but uh this is from a uh, the is from on live and this was based on an article written in the los angeles times a few years back but uh based on a uh, a general breakdown of the numbers uh for the $60 $27 would go to the publisher that would recoup uh, making the game packaging the game and sh- Making a game and marketing the game. Uh, $15 is a potential markup for the retailers. Uh, $7 is set aside for games that aren't sold and are going to be potentially returned to the publishers. And $4 goes into production and distribution. So basically, you see that the introduction of microtransactions, loot boxes, are going to are being made to sort of uh, you know add some extraneous revenue streams for these publishers who apparently are not netting enough with their percentage uh, of these sales to be able to recoup the massive amount of money they're putting into games. Um, but it also makes sense. So if you take away the fifteen dollars retail markup, the seven dollars for returns uh, potentially, and for the I believe this a platform cut is in there as well, and the four dollars for Production distribution—you almost get the fact that half the price of the game is made up in the in in the, in the distribution, in the production process, and the marketing, or not even the marketing. Marketing money goes to the publisher uh, is made up of those extraneous costs. So, uh, if half of your cost of a game can be taken away by digital downloads there is no reason that these publishers aren't at least partially discounting it i think that if they made some of these games forty dollars thirty five dollars uh that would be uh, or they would see a lot more sales the reason they have it pegged at sixty dollars is literally just because that's what the market is willing to pay for digital downloads so if everyone decided to wake up tomorrow and say hey we don't want to pay this amount of money anymore uh and we want to pay thirty five dollars and thirty five dollars is the most we're going to go to, uh, then, you know, these publishers would have to respond. But until, uh, you know, people start, you know, thinking with their pockets instead of with their opinions, uh, games are just going to be priced. And, you know, some companies are at least a bit more honest as to why that uh, pricing is the same. So if you look on the PlayStation Store or the Xbox Store, uh, you'll find that uh, a couple of games that come out are on the uh that are available to digitally download through uh the console stores are going to be priced as if they had never been discounted so a couple of games are still like if you try buying grand theft auto 5 it's 60 dollars if you go to your local target that game is $35 to me it sort of questions as to why they would do something like that and I tried to do a little research on comments from the uh, actual publishers they've actually never made a lot of comments about it the head of PlayStation UK did speak with Eurogamer uh, a couple of years back and his basis for uh, pricing the games at the same cost as physical disc was so that they wouldn't undercut the retailers because they really depend on them a lot for momentum and interest and bringing in sort of new gamers and it's just gamers understand the importance of the community that is offered by uh these secondhand stores and just physical gaming shops uh i wish that they would have the same sort of reverence for rental gaming but apparently the gaming industry is trying to move away from creating anything that would be rentable um, you know that would be playable in a finite amount of time, and then you know finish. Uh, they, I guess they just want games that you just keep putting money in. Um, you know, Nintendo at least was the most honest about why they don't differentiate their price for physical and uh, digital. Their response is to the president of Nintendo a couple years back as well. They don't speak about this too much anymore, so all of these are about two three years old. Um, he said they didn't want to devalue their software uh, or their IP, so by pricing it the same, uh, it just looks more professional. So which I understand as a sort of business model, that's why you're never seeing you know. Apple products being on sale and, you know, Nintendo has sort of moved up, uh, you know, or Nintendo's IP is important enough to allow them to do that because they have some of the most important games in the history of the industry. So, you know, Nintendo runs how Nintendo runs, but Ubisoft uh, actually gave the most inane answer. And this one sort of upset me. Um, this was by the CEO, Yez Guillemot. Uh, and this is about uh, two years back, Uh, and he said in response to a question was uh, why uh, digital prices remain so high, especially compared to their discounted physical counterpart. Uh, He said, and this, uh, trust me, I'm going to read this fully to you so you realize how dumb this is, but digital is more reactive than what we put in stores, but at the same time, it doesn't react as fast on consoles than it does on PC. doesn't make any sense. What we can say is that when games are older than one year digital is a lot more dynamic why does they keep using that word on console because there are less units in stores that's arbitrary uh, it's a new business a new trend and we all think this will get more in line with time but for sure at the moment you see all sorts of prices depending on who is doing promotion for that specific week uh, the cfo elaine martinez also chimed in saying on digital we will not sell a game for a lower price compared to physical after a few weeks or a few months things can change and as he has has been saying sometimes you might have a promotion on Amazon that is not on GameStop but we also react again arbitrary language on the digital side um, you know this is a r- just muddled business talk uh it really doesn't make sense they basically are saying that they'll just sell the game for its full price for as long as they can and if you want to figure out a way to go find it for cheaper in stores feel free to but uh, it's not their job to discount that so uh you know as you see a couple of the biggest uh, companies in the world and two of the uh, major consoles uh, have stated that they have no particular plan for decreasing the cost of the digital downloads, um, either out of respect for the physical market or not, Uh, But, you know, to be frankly honest, uh, you know, granted, this was a less than thrilling deep dive into a topic to find out that, hey, guess what, it's arbitrary and doesn't really make a sense why there's a a similar price cost other than what people are willing to pay, which I guess is basic economics. But, um, you know, for them to claim that they're doing it so not so as not to undercut secondary markets importance and their relationships with them, I also don't see that if, Tomorrow, physical download or physical discs were to disappear off the face of the earth. That for some reason, these gaming companies would suddenly have the heart to offer the games at a lower price. Uh, I think now moving forward, especially with the you know belief that digital, you know, I guess in this past year in 2017, almost 40 percent of all game da- uh, all game purchases were downloads, digital downloads, uh, and that number is only going to increase in the coming years. That uh, you know, and with the repeal of net neutrality, these are sort of trends that are going to add a lot of cost, and not to mention loot boxes and microtransactions that are going to add a lot of cost for the typical gamer, and it is something that i feel like the uh you know players and users and just fans of video games should be wary of that you know the biggest power they have against these publishers is their money um and their belief so if you're going to say you know flood them with negative reviews or if everyone comes together Uh, all gamers come together tomorrow and and stamp a a digital price that they're not willing to pay over i think we'll start seeing some changes uh but for now if we're going to let the markets and these companies dictate uh, the pricing structures, we're going to see a lot more cases like this uh, in which there's not a lot of logic underlying pricing, and the only people who really suffer are consumers. But anyway, uh, that was just a a little dive into this. Uh, You know, each week we're going to get better at this. But anyway, I hope you enjoyed. If you have any questions about it, feel free to hit us up on Twitter. And, uh, you know, wrapping this up. Now, coming up after uh, a word from our sponsors, I'll be sitting down with uh, Manny Anical for that conversation. So, I uh, hope you enjoy. This is not an advertisement. Oh, and free tax stone. So, uh, joining us today on People Like Games, we have Manny Anicle. Uh <laughs> Welcome, Manny. Uh, hey, hopefully- thank you for having me on. Absolutely, uh, Manny is a, uh, a very experienced person in the industry, having spent 12 years uh, in uh, said industry, working at Microsoft, EA, Zynga, Major League Gaming, and I imagine a few other places as well. Uh, you are currently the CEO of TNL Media, the owner of Team Versus Sports, which is a uh, Madden uh, team at the moment, and a, you know, eSports um investment firm called loot ventures so um you know welcome again as i was saying to the show i'm curious uh how did you you know get your start in the industry um and then you know how does it feel seeing it all you know become this big now
1: yeah. Well, one, I wouldn't say it's a uh, big yet. You yeah. know, still grinding and working there, but it's, you know, fortunate to have a lot of good things, you know, go my way so far. But, you know, for me, it's, you know, I realized about, you know, two years ago after my time with major league gaming, which is where I first really got introduced to eSports, you know, is that, you know, I really saw something of an industry that was truly global, that was truly going to be mobile one day. Um, and the opportunity seemed really ripe. And, and not only that, it's, you know, I love the industry. For what it is, for multiple reasons, and you know, we don't have enough time to talk about that. So, Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, so that's why I decided to kind of, you know, triple down on the space and you know, start a couple different, you know, little things in the area. So uh, we'll see how it goes from there. But uh, thank you so much for that overview.
0: Of course. And uh, if uh, any of you are interested, you can find Manny at Manny Anical on Twitter. One of the first people I ended up following in the industry. So it's actually really wonderful to be uh, speaking with you. I've gotten a lot of, you know, information. Uh, <laughs> (laughs) from you from your podcast Um, thank you so so much without further ado let's let's just jump into it so um you know beginning with owl um so the overwatch league is set to premiere on third or rather set to premiere tomorrow actually um and so with that being set up it's been a major topic in the news uh with the formation and with the nba teams that have been investing in it uh, so one of the questions I would have or, you know, questions relating to that is uh, with the week set to begin, I know, you know, just this, I, I believe yesterday, the Philadelphia Fusion ended up announcing that they wouldn't be able to even partake in, um, you know, the preseason due to some logistics issues, you know, going into it. What are some predictions that you have for what the potential viewership is going to be early on and say the first two months?
1: Yeah, you know that's something that's very hard to do. I would say, call it, you know a crystal ball type thing. You know, if Absolutely. I could, if I could, if I could figure that out, I think that would be you know worth a lot to a lot of different people. Uh, but you know, I don't, I don't really know what the what the early viewership is going to look like. I think if you look at you know what we've written on the next level is that um, you know viewership for the Overwatch World Cup was very good. You know, as you saw, anywhere in the range in between 100 to 125 thousand. In current viewership, you know, hundred thousand viewers is kind of this mythical, magical bar that we kind of assign to. Hey, what's kind of the good start for you know good viewership? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know if that's really fair, but you know, I think somewhere in that range, if it comes out, you know, it would be very successful.
0: Well, see, that, that's interesting because I feel like a lot of the numbers that are going to be anchored to the to the early viewership response is going to be based on, say, television or. You know, sports. Do you think that is going to be an issue a little early on with people's expectations being defined by different industries?
1: Um, I'm not sure about that. You know, I don't really, I don't really believe that's the case.
0: Okay, all right. Um, and so then, you know, just going through it, if not even through viewership numbers, uh, what would you or what do you think would define a successful first month for the league? And what would be a situation that could lead to, you know, a little bit of negative feedback?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, from that perspective, you have to look at it, you know, you're going back to that hundred thousand number that I talked about that's probably you know I, th- I think if they were able to get you know six digits you know consistently for you know when the regular season starts and obviously a little higher for the playoffs and the championship you know mm-hmm. i think that would be fantastic um you know I think anything lower than right now for what you what you're seeing um you know if a if a relatively medium sized counter strike event is drawing 125, 150,000 viewers, you know, I think, you know, maybe, you know, that would be challenging if the numbers didn't come up in the six figure range. So I think, you know, that's kind of maybe the what the bar is being set at.
0: Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, just then, you know, going into a last question about the league, what do you think is the biggest omission from the <laughs> league right now, whether it be a specific uh, country for a team, whether it be a specific state for a team. Uh, do you think they miss anything, or do you think it's too early to even judge by those parameters?
1: No, I think you know it's, it's very early. You know, preseason is starting tomorrow. I mean, for the Overwatch League, you have to think about this not as something as what's going to happen in the first month. I mean, this is something that's going to be, no matter how, no matter how year one turns out, there's absolutely going to be a year two and potentially a. Year or three, if not guaranteed. Mm-hmm. So you know, I think you have a relatively decent amount of lifespan there. Um, so I don't think you know there's been a big emission yet that you know we can speak of in terms of just because the league is so new. And I mm-hmm. we guess we'll get we'll start seeing it. You know, they they changed a the new viewer mode, so that's a new a new spectator mode. So mm-hmm. I think that's been a good change to the game um, as well. But I think in, the biggest emission, you know, again from what I cover on the business side on the next level, is probably from the brand perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, the Dallas Fuel were the first team to announce um uh, announce a partnership with Jack Midlock. So I would expect it probably a few more announcements by this time mm-hmm. uh, from a few of the other teams. But you know, I think that just goes to show you and like what you talked about with what happened with Philadelphia with the uh the Philadelphia team is uh Uh, is a lot of issues with face and what's going to be getting them prepared so you know you know we could talk about a mission you know i think maybe like a couple months in
0: absolutely i completely agree so then you know moving on from the owl to the (laughs) other game uh, in the industry which is league of legends specifically uh, that set up this sort of franchised uh, league system uh, for the league championship series upcoming this year Um, Do you think that because they were established uh, sort of around the same time in terms of uh, professionalizing through uh, large scale investment, do you think that they're going to be comparative in terms of uh, viewerships or for interest or whatever the case may be? Or do you think both of those leagues are inherently different and therefore it wouldn't be fair to compare the, the, you know, the viewerships or the advertising costs or whatever the case may be?
1: Um, you know, I think in terms of that, you know, the the comparative points are they're absolutely going to be compared because they're the they're the two biggest leagues out there right absolutely. now, right? Absolutely. So so there's no reason why there's not going to be a bunch of press between you know who's doing it better, which league is more success, and I think you know definitely viewership and but more importantly financial success, as you pointed out, are going to be you know key to keys going to be comparing the two leagues together. But you know the big difference, though, is that, you know, we have to remember, you know, Overwatch didn't exist, you know, what, two years ago, right? Where the yeah, League, League's true. been around for a decent amount of time at this point. So, you know, League is already established, and we see what the numbers, you know, uh, you know like I, we wrote about, um, you know, they, they drew half a million concurrent viewers mm-hmm. for the 2017 World Championship. Absolutely. Um, you know, that's a huge number, and only League really draws those numbers, and as we've been tracking the Twitch Top 10, League has been number one you know every every week that we've been tracking it for the last few last six weeks or so so you know you see how successful that is so
0: let's not forget that league's been around for a lot longer also true also very true and you know i feel like uh, that that those numbers that came out for twitch for the uh, the riot uh, world championship were really interesting and you know just goes to show uh, the strength of the game internationally. So we'll actually get into a few more questions about league later on. But then, you know, moving on to now the next establishing league and something I'm actually really curious about, which is sports, esports games, and in particular the 2K League. Um, just as a note, uh, uh, notice for the listeners, uh, Manny is the owner of Team Versus Sports, and you're sporting a team in the Madden League, if I'm correct? That's correct. Yeah, you're right. And so, you know, going into sports video games and for setting up a league that is comparable to the Owl or the League of Legends, um, do you think sports video games have the same market opportunity or potential as what's currently uh, popular or what's popular in the industry as a whole, Uh, specifically FPSs, RTSs, and MOBAs? Do you think sports can sort of crack into those, you know, arenas or areas?
1: Yeah, I think the the simplest way to answer that question is to really answer it from the question itself is because of what you just asked, right? It's sports video games. Mm -hmm. So if you walk into a CMO's office, if you walk into an investor's office and say, you know, talk about Madden or the upcoming NBA 2K League, Mm -hmm. it's very easy to understand because you're basically explaining sports, whereas if you say RTS, FPS, and MOBA, they're going to look At you like as if you had three heads. Absolutely can't disagree there whatsoever. Right, so it's just an easier sell. So I think from that perspective, um, you know, it has a it has a long future to go, um, but it has a while to catch up to any of the top games, either in you know the mobile range like well in the first in the FPS range like Counter Strike, um, games like Hearthstone, games like Overwatch. So there's a lot, a lot of lot, long way to go before um, they actually hit the number that those games are drawing in those genres
0: absolutely because i just i always think about it in terms of you know if you wanted to watch or if you're a really big fan of overwatch right and you want to be able to watch the best players in the world you would have to watch them you know on twitch or whatever the case is to be able to to see them but if you say you know i really love nba 2k and I wanna see the best players in the world, do you think the fact that you have the ability to see a live version of it is going to affect potential viewership? Or do you think that would even potentially increase the number of people interested?
1: Well, I think that's the sort of multi million dollar question yeah. that, that everyone wants to know, right? Yeah. Which, which is that, you know, so my question always goes back to, you know, do you want to see a digital Durant or do you want to see a digital Don from Detroit? Which mm-hmm. is like, so that's the question is if that, you know, Detroit team, like, are they going to be able to pull a viewership for someone who's relatively unknown just because he happens to be good at 2K? So I think that's the multi million dollar question. But, you know, I'm. uh, I think I'm. uh, I'm a little bit um, bullish on the NBA 2K League. Mm I think what they've been doing so far in terms of marketing it early has been very good so far. So we'll see. We'll see. see. There's a long future to go there as well for for them to build that league.
0: Absolutely, and it 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 just makes sense. I mean, I I believe, or at least I guess, in my opinion, one of the main reasons uh, a lot of these NBA owners ended up. Investing in esports is that there's a very large crossover with their demographics, and so with NBA becoming increasingly popular, uh, especially with the youth, I guess it makes sense to tie in uh, both the NBA team to the video games, and then sort of you know consolidate on the 18 to 30 market. But that could just be speculation. No, um, no, 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 no. I think that yeah, it's absolutely right. I mean, from a marketing perspective, that's totally true. And so, you know, so that's been good to see. I mean, hopefully the influx of money, um, or I guess I should ask this in a question form. Do you think that the sudden massive influx of money is good or bad uh, for uh, esports as a whole? Because my fear is that by throwing in so much money that they're going to start demanding a response. I saw you put up a great article the other day on your Twitter about Alibaba waiting on a long-term return for their investments, understanding that's a five-year game. And actually, a quote you always say, which is, this is day one of esports. So, you know, do you think that quick rush of big money right now could potentially be detrimental uh, if their returns aren't what the investors wanted? Or do you think well, it's understood that, yes, this is going to take a little while to establish itself?
1: Well, I think any investor wants their money back or more than their money back as quickly as possible. But, you know, I think the investors that are coming into this game realize that it's a long term play. You know, if you're spending, if you're spending 20 million dollars, even if you're a billionaire, it's 20 million dollars. Right. So I always say, you know, it's tough to think like a billionaire if you are not one so is the influx of money good or bad you know it's it's you know one of those questions that are kind of you know you can look at it either way but like Mm -hmm. the money the money's coming in and the money has come in and so there's nothing to stop that Mm -hmm. um so i don't know what you would have to do uh to kind of you know i mean it's sort of like the genie's already out of the bottle so with that being said is it's like you know people are gonna have to realize it's time to shape up in the industry overall.
0: That makes that I totally agree with. So I mean it's there. I guess we'll see what ends up uh, coming with it. Um so then, you know, moving on to a separate question, which is given that the current, you know, sort of set of e esports games have been established as to, you know, what's being leagued, et cetera, uh, do you think that um, you know, what the process might be for the aging out of games? You know, I guess CSGO is the one that, you know, always jumps in mind with a lot of these newer ones. You know, do you think within five to 10 years, we'll see less of CSGO or do you think now with the industry getting bigger, you'll see even a, a slight revitalization of the number of people are playing?
1: Yeah, I mean it's 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 another it's a
0: tough All question. Questions there, you know, relative questions.
1: No, it does. That's a, a tough question. But what I would say about CS is that you know it's a game that's been around for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. So you know I remember over a decade ago, you know I was traveling through Asia seeing CS played on like you know crazy CRT monitors and like really crappy computers overall. Um, but you know they turned out you know turned out to be a really really fun game. Um, so you could see like where that where that basically is gone so in terms of games aging out um you know i think you've seen you've seen that with wow a little bit mm-hmm. um so but i don't think you know you know technically you know is wow a true esports title so you know you can argue that also yeah, That uh um so the other question is so i think there's some games that have longevity and cs has proven that Mm -hmm. um so we will see if games like overwatch games like vainglory you know have it for their lifespan
0: absolutely absolutely so then you know moving on to our next uh, question which is based on the content of said esports so the four major social platforms that have sort of entered into the fray of um content for esports are twitch YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, and I guess you could add in addition Turner uh, you know sports, which is doing the televised versions of these. Um, you know based on your analysis and you know based off what you know you know about the industry and the viewership numbers, which of these platforms do you think will end up inevitably winning the eSports arms race and be the default go-to for viewing?
1: I don't think there's going to be one you know that's the same thing you see with sports right. Now. <laughs> One sports network all your sports. There's going to be one esports network where you go to watch all of your esports. I mean, everything that you just mentioned—Twitch, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and traditional TV—they um, all have you know pros and cons in terms of what advantage they bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, I necessarily don't think that esports needs television. Television needs esports a lot greater than that.
0: That's a good way to put it.
1: So, um, I don't really think there's going to be one clear winner. I think there's enough room, um, the pie to split them up between digital and traditional TV until all of traditional TV eventually moves to digital, and there's you know technically no linear anymore.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I agree. I, I feel like the fracturing and diversification uh, diversification of content consumption channels is only going to increase, but there'll be major players within. As there is with each media uh, industry that's established over time, but that's neither here nor there. Um, you know. Now moving to mobile esports, because I had seen that you had mentioned on your Twitter that you were a firm believer in the potential of Clash Royale to be the first major mobile esports game. And so, backtracking just a little bit, um, competitive battle royale mobile games in China. And competitive mobile games in Japan are really sort of fueling numbers of digital gaming growth. Do you think that we're going to see something similar in terms of competitive mobile gaming here in the U.S.? And, and I will tell you afterwards why it won't be Clash Royale.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, you could probably argue that, you know, if you're going to make a bet, you know, you can make a bet on Arena of Valor being that game. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't know, for those that don't know, obviously Arena of Valor is Honor of Kings, which is a big game in China. Um, Honor of Kings is played by 50 million people on a daily basis. You know, it's the number one game in China, making it the number one game in the entire world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the game is, you know, massive, massively popular. Um, but for me, you know, again, maybe I'm biased because I'm a huge, huge clash Royale fan mm-hmm. uh, myself but you know i think what the game has is it's got fantastic playability you know it's a game time of less than three minutes it's very easy to pick up and understand and one of the i think one of the hidden features you know the trojan horse that clash has that other games don't have is it has a built-in distribution system mm-hmm. um with clash tv that's kind of built into the game so you know you can see how that plays into where you can distribute you know across you know the world i mean you could even get into china where you can't get into other markets so i think there's a big opportunity there
0: that i agree with that i totally agree with i guess my only qualms with clash royale is that it is a free-to-play model so that you know the competition is always going to be skewered because the cards are you know potentially based off how much you're willing to spend so i feel like anything with a direct payment system affecting competitive shouldn't be allowed but we'll see you know they, there's always post uh changes they can go about but you yeah know, moving towards wrapping a few things up uh you know because i know you're you're a busy guy um some of your favorite video game series of all time or one that comes to mind oh my god some of my favorite video game series of all time mm. for um, me it's bioshock so i can put that out there before you have to answer uh wow well,
1: you know i would say i would throw bioshock out there too I gotta agree with you. I think Bioshock is fantastic. I think the first one, obviously my favorite one. Absolutely. Um, you know that game is is absolutely nuts. Um, I I actually love the the first the first Crackdown. I think that game was addictive. That game was like my first <laughs> first crack as well. Of um, I mean, but in terms of series, you know, I mean that's that's tough to answer. I mean, I go back to individual games. I mean, I'll go back to you know Castlevania on the, you know on the, on the old Nintendo. I'll go back to Kid Icarus and the old Nintendo oh, wow.
0: so you're going old school uh, this I'll, one. <laughs> I'll, I'll go old school
1: you know? I'll go back to like Street Fighter on the SNES you know so those are probably some of my favorite video games of all time the Atari series you know maybe maybe Halo is a series
0: I was just going to say I was like Halo Land Parties is where I got my major competitive gaming beginning so you know <laughs> I, yeah. do, I do agree with that. I Amy mean, Halo is one of the most, you know, just distinctly important ones, which is, you know, there should be a video game Hall of Fame while they're at it if they're going to be adding all these award shows. But Absolutely. Regardless, I guess now moving on to, again, back to the eSports. Um, do you believe that PUBG has the potential to be the next big eSport? Why or why not?
1: Um, I believe it does. I think I would probably rephrase the question to, do I believe Battle Royale as a genre has a huge opportunity mm, for? It I think, I think that, you know, that's probably where I would go with that question. Mm-hmm. So what what we actually published today was you know in, in terms of the Twitch top ten, Fortnite's actually doing really well in terms of moving up in terms of viewer hours consumed and viewer hours streamed, and we're actually seeing a dip in PUBG overall. Mm. So you know Fortnite's sort of like the hot new game is kind of copying that model. Mm-hmm. I'm sure when Tencent comes out with their game, you know, that's going to be the next big thing. Um, So everyone's kind of copying the Battle Royale model right right now. So there's going to be some hot new thing. And that's the thing with eSports is you can't really predict what the next big title is because it's sort of like predicting, you know, who the president of a country that doesn't exist is going to be. That's (laughs) right. Ten years from now. So I think that. So I think that's hard to hard to say, but um, I think I think the battle royale genre is definitely here to stay. It's fun to watch. Uh, it's easy to learn. You know, it's great for a spectator Absolutely. as well.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I, I feel like the reason Fortnite's really sort of jumped up and this is actually a question I've been thinking about myself, which is the, the cost of entry. So, like to me, League of Legends is the biggest game in the world because it's free to play, um, and taking away that entry access cost allows a lot more people around the world to be able to play um and same thing with Fortnite. you take away the initial cost of the game then you can automatically jump in so it just creates a larger uh, initial market but again could be speculative i could be wrong uh,
1: no that's a, it's a very good point and i think you know free to play um has some great advantages you know and it tends to draw viewership it's free marketing as well so a lot of good stuff going on with the in that market
0: absolutely and so then now moving on to our last two questions um where do you believe the next major round of major esports monetary investment will come from or into what? Um, so say, hmm. you know, Owl is one. League of Legends is one. 2K League is another one. What is the next thing that if you had to guess is being or is prime to be invested in? Would it be Battle Royales?
1: um i think everyone's going to invest in battle royale yeah i think that's for in the near term that's probably going to come out Mm -hmm. um but i think what the next you know the continuing evolution is going to be is towards mobile you know like whoever figures out the first true mobile esport is going to have such a such a big advantage over anyone else in the space so i think you know whoever hits that the investment is going to hit hard
0: that i agree have you heard of hq trivia
1: on mobile Uh, i have i have i play that game i think it's fantastic
0: so it's awesome and it it actually you know something actually popped up in my mind the other night as i was thinking i was actually doing prep for these questions and i thought about (laughs) how if you really think about it uh hq is just a competitive mobile game whose uh you know sport happens to be trivia so it's this first sort of proof of what the market is like for competitive gaming to a degree, even though it's a trivia show. I don't know. could be, could be relatable, yeah, but yeah,
1: that's a, that's a good analogy.
0: Yeah. I like that. And then, uh, just to top it off, uh, because you know, you've been very kind with your time. Um, I know you're a rap guy. I remember I was listening to an episode and you quoted that J line. I'm not a businessman. I'm a businessman. <laughs> and I happened to be at a show the other night. Um, okay. And, nice. And so, um, completely unrelated to gaming. Who's your hip-hop top five?
1: Who's my hip-hop top five? Wow, that's a a great question. Uh, What I have to say? I mean, I definitely have to say Biggie for sure. Uh, You know, he's my number one. You can't go wrong with Biggie. Never wrong with Brooklyn. uh, Yeah, you can't go wrong with Brooklyn. Gotta say, you gotta throw Hub up there, you know? Mm -hmm. So you gotta throw Jay up there. Um, I think you gotta throw... Uh, Rakeem up there. Of course. You know, you know, I think he's just like, you know, one of the all time, you know, pivotal. Uh, I think obviously, you know, you got to rep West Coast. so I mean, you can't, I mean, you can't have Tupac on the list, right? Yeah, uh, that I five. agree with. You got to do, what you got to put Tupac. And for me, you know, kind of out of, at of left field, you know, I would throw, as a someone who was a producer, someone who's in the back, but I think, you know, it goes down as probably, you know, legendary in my mind is DJ Premier. You Absolutely. know, so, so for Absolutely made out yeah, i'll probably round out my uh my my top five of hip-hop that
0: That's is a great, wonderful great, one excited. if you get some time check out dj Premier partnered with the berkeley symphony orchestra and did a couple of songs there's oh, a nice. lot of really good stuff there so just check it out sometime I will, I will absolutely thank you so much all right no problem uh manny thank you again for taking the time to come to the show uh i will you know send you over the episode when it's done and uh you know hopefully we'll stay in touch